0: Okay, let's uh, do something radical. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the opportunities you put before us. We thank you, Father, for this evening that where we might gather to know a little bit better our Lord and Savior. We pray, Father, that you'd open your word to our hearts and lives and open our hearts and lives to your word. That in all these things we might grow in grace and the knowledge knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are in the 22nd session of 24 of the book of Genesis. And uh, so we're going to tackle chapters 40 and following. And uh, uh, we've committed three sessions. This is the second of three sessions on Joseph. We went through the first 11 chapters, which are considered prehistory by many scholars. But from chapter twelve on we 're into the patriarchs, and we we could sense a real shifting of gears, so to speak, when we went from chapter eleven to twelve and as we got through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we get to Joseph, the style isn 't that different, and yet it 's quite a quite a fantastic narrative that we we just introduced last time, and we'll uh, we 'll have tonight and uh, next session to fo- finish that and then the fo- and then the following session we'll wrap up the whole book and review prophetically all the 12 tribes. Jacob does that and we'll use that as a springboard to talk a little further about the 12 tribes that make up the nation. Last session we talked about Joseph who had these strange dreams, a pair of them specifically, as a child that offended his brothers and so forth. We also had inserted in the series this bizarre chapter 38 with Judah and his sin with Tamar, and we went went behind the text there, looked at some of the encrypted aspects of that, which also involved a review of the book of Ruth, which we sort of inserted. But then uh, Joseph, of course, because of the envy of his brothers and so forth, gets captured and sold to uh, uh, to the uh, slave traders and ends up in Egypt. That's where we left off last time. So we are in chapter 40. And Joseph is uh, in Egypt. So let's uh, – and you may recall when he, he was uh, uh, acquired by Potiphar, who's the chief of the executioners and so forth, his wife uh, tried to get him to have a, an affair with her, and he refused, and she uh, spread slander about him, which caused him to get thrown into prison and uh, so that's where we pick up the narrative in chapter 40, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt, this is my he's he's a, 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 like a, a drink giver. He's like the wine steward in a sense. Um, the, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker, uh, and uh, he was this guy that was in the superintendent of the bakery. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, both of these guys are right at the elbow of, of the pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And uh, what typically was involved, by the way, is they were probably also tasters. Uh, you may recall when you get the book of Nehemiah, that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. That wasn't just a menial thing. It was a, two things. He, was, he, he would make sure he tasted everything before the king did. That's a responsibility. But also became very intimate with the king. They were, he, was, he was very, he, he was, uh, the king did Nehemiah a lot of key favors. But in any case, this butler and this baker, had offended the king, and uh, so they're in trouble. And uh, pending their full investigation, they're thrown into prison, and it's the same prison, of course, where Joseph is. And uh, 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 and this is going to be very pivotal in the career of our friend Joseph. Verse 2, And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers, and he put them in the ward of the house of the captain of the guard, into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And uh, the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and served them, and they continued a season of war. Now, this is interesting. Here's Joseph, a prisoner himself, when he was, he was a slave purchased by Potiphar, and Potiphar recognized in him talent, apparently, because he put him in charge of his own household. Quite an honor for a slave to have that kind of a position. Of course, his wife tried to take advantage of it and That's what got Joseph in big in big trouble. Um, now here again, he's in prison, and the head of the prison again uh, puts the the administration of things into Joseph's hand. This tells you a lot about Joseph. This guy is a a, a guy with a lot of a lot of uh, aptitude. And uh, so in a, anyway, these two guys that are in prison there, they dreamed a dream, both of them. That's the baker and the the butler the baker. Each man his dream in one night. So this is strange. In one night, both of these guys had had a dream. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in prison. You know, it's interesting. This episode we're going to see here will be repeated centuries later in Babylon, where a young teenager by the name of Daniel gets the attention of the king because the king had a troubling dream, and and his own experts couldn't make head or tail of it. In fact, his requirement was that they would have to recall the dream. He didn't even tell them what it was. <laughs> but anyway, and of course, that's what, what propels Daniel to power. And Daniel's another one of these guys because he rises to power twice. In the Babylonian world, when that gets conquered by the Persians, he uh, ascends in the hierarchy to be the third ruler of the world. Um, uh, in that, So you, the, both both Joseph and Daniel seem to be very similar in, cert, in, a, in a certain way. Both Daniel and... Uh, uh, Joseph are, had two things in common. They're both in effect, exec- what we would call executives. And they're both guys about whom there is no evil spoken of. Throughout, accepting Jesus Christ and accepting those two, almost everybody else you encounter in scripture stumbles or has a problem or there's something about them. uh, uh Daniel and Joseph both are, are spotless in the sense of the record. And, um, Uh, Both have that in common. Anyway, so we have these uh, two guys, the butler and baker, have a troubling dream. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. They were upset, and uh, and he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his lord's house, saying, "Wherefore look ye so sadly today?" They said unto him, "We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it." And Joseph said unto them, "Do not interpretations belong to God?" Tell me them, I pray you. And so it's interesting. Let's try to put ourselves in Joseph's mind. Joseph can remember when he was a kid, he had these dreams, and he was able to interpret them and so forth. And again, when he was a kid, there were two dreams. And here again, we are faced with two dreams. And we're going to shortly discover Pharaoh will have later two dreams. So it's kind of interesting. There's a pattern here. and uh, I would imagine the person most sensitive to that pattern would be Joseph himself. But uh, in any case, uh, the uh, uh, chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. a pretty straightforward dream, especially for a butler, they would think. But again, three branches and so forth. What's going on here? So Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. And so that's pretty straightforward. You know, it's interesting. Something you can do on your own is take the three-day thing and trace it through the Bible. It's really remarkable how often that shows up. You remember Abraham took three days... Bringing Isaac to Mount Moriah for the offering of Isaac back in chapter 22 of Genesis. Um, Jonah will spend three days in the belly of the great fish. And uh, Jesus, in fact, will make reference to that, focusing on his own three days in the tomb. So it's kind of interesting. I personally suspect, for reasons I'll show you as we go, that when Joseph's brothers put him in that pit, that cistern, that he was in there three days. And that always was just a suspicion of mine, but as I was preparing for this lesson, I saw some things in the text which caused me to, it seemed to underscore that very concept. As we'll go, we'll take a look at that. So anyway, the butler has his dream, Joseph interprets it, and the butler, of course, is pleased. That means in three days, he's going to get back to where he was and, and everything will be fine. But then Joseph gives the butler a request. He sort of says, hey, I do a fa- you a favor, you owe me one. He says... He says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. Rather reasonable uh, uh, request. He says, for indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. And by the way, I think I mentioned it last time. I have a view, doesn't mean it's correct, that Potiphar didn't believe his wife. The wife accused him of trying to put the make on her. If he had believed her, he would have had him killed. He was the chief of the executioners. But he, threw in pre- he probably had to do something to save face or whatever, but I think, in my mind at least, he probably recognized, he probably knew his wife for what she was, but let's move on. Yeah. Uh, we got another guy here now. And this, guy's, this guy's got a little bigger problem. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for the Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head." Now, a couple of things about this. um, the, 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 The style, apparently, was that the baked meats, as they call them, were carried in baskets. And the baskets typically were carried on a person's head Between the bakery and the dining area and uh, in crossing these open courts the uh, they were vulnerable to birds of various kinds coming down and helping themselves so that was a you know uh, a situation and uh, the risk of these kinds of things were greater in the cities of Egypt because uh, it was they were held sacred it was unlawful to destroy them the birds that is so they're a nuisance you see and so uh, in any case, uh, they often swarmed, and, and were, they were an annoyance. This, was a, this is the background here. Um, there is one thing I'll show. I won't get into exegetical stuff too much. The translations is not a big deal. But the, where it says three white baskets, the word is uh, kori, which can mean white. It also can mean full of holes. It also can mean full of holes. I'll come back to that. In a minute. Uh, it can be either one. And it, when it says, some commentators who catch that say, well, it probably means the baskets had full of holes, like they were wicker baskets. That's one possibility. But if the wine and the bread are prophetic, as I'm going to suggest they are, I'll call your attention to that, that the matzah is always full of holes. I wouldn't make too much of that. It couldn't be a coincidence. Let's move on. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation thereof. He probably should have said, uh, you know, baker, fasten your seatbelt. Are you ready for this? You really want to know? Okay. This is the interpretation there. Of the three baskets, again, are 3 days. And within 3 days, shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off of thee and hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. It's my suspicion that this really wasn't what the baker wanted to hear. Okay. And uh The language of Joseph here, by the way, describes rather minutely a form of capital punishment that prevailed in Egypt. Namely, the criminal was decapitated, and then his headless body was gibbeted on a tree by the highway until it was gradually devoured by ravenous birds. There are records of that. Pretty grisly, but that was the point. That's the way they made an example, if you will. And so interestingly enough, that seems to be very consistent with what, what Joseph is interpreting from this dream. Well, it came to pass on the third day. See, both these guys had a three-day window, didn't they? It came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again and gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And by the way, make a couple of remarks here. Um, On the Rosetta Stone, you may recall... Roughly at the time of Napoleon, they found a stone near Rosetta. That's why they call it the Rosetta Stone, that has the same story written in three different ways, and uh, in the and because it's three different languages, it, it was the key to the hieroglyphics and the rest because they can you know interpolate. But um, and we talk about that in our book on on cryptography. But the point is, um, what's interesting in the Rosetta Stone, it mentions that the pharaohs had a custom of releasing prisoners on his birthday. So I just remember that. I I thought that would be useful because it's consistent with our narrative here. So he, he takes the butler and restores him to his office, which obviously he was well pleased. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted them. Now watch out for that word hanged. Because that's often misunderstood. You and I think of someone hanging in the fashion of the Old West. A noose around a tree and whatever. Um, We find that in the book of Esther with Haman and the gallows, remember? And uh, um, it turns out, especially in the case of Haman, because that was a Persian setting, he wasn't hung with a rope, he was crucified. He was nailed to a tree, okay? And here, too... When it says hanged, he's hung on a tree after probably probably being decapitated like, like the dream described, or like Joseph described. So watch out for that word hanged, because yeah, uh, especially in the, the Esther account, um, you can see from the, the translator's presumptions that that's what they visualize, yet when you get into the actual language and the background, you realize it's, it's, a, it's a little different. But also, uh, it turns out, especially in the Haman thing, uh, anticipatory of the cross and you can study that in our Esther commentary but let's go ahead here so um, he hanged the chief beggar and Joseph interpreted him now you can imagine the chief uh, butler he's restored to office three days ago Joseph told him that was what was going to happen You would think he'd be pleased as can be but you know something very strange about good news we take it for granted it isn't very long and we sort of feel we deserved it don't ever underestimate the human being's capacity to rationalize, Um, whatever. So remember Joseph said, hey, just do me a favor, remember me. Do you think the chief butler did? Not for 13 years. Can you imagine? Approximately, at least that's the inference you draw. And uh, yet did not, the chief butler, uh, the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. And therein, uh, lies the close of this chapter. I want to highlight a couple things. When you go through the Bible, one of the things I want to sensitize you to, be sensitive to the fact that we're dealing with 66 books penned by 40 different guys over thousands of years that are an integrated message. Watch for proofs of that. You'll discover not just the content in the, in the primary sense, but even the subtleties are all interconnected. You'll recognize that it is the real source is a single author. And that author is outside time altogether. You remember when we were in Genesis 14, remember Melchizedek? When Abraham comes to him after the, the, the victory over the nine kings and all that, Melchizedek administers to Abraham what things? Bread and wine, bread and wine. And uh, here we have in Genesis 40, again, a baker and a wine steward. And, of course, at the Last Supper, we have the bread and the wine. And, of course, because of that, of course, we have communion, as Paul emphasizes in First Corinthians 11 and so on. So interesting to see that thread all the way through. It's interesting to remember that Jesus in his resurrection body, after his resurrection, is always eating. <laughs> I love that. And also recognize that he's finishing that meal. The last cup he didn't finish, he's going to drink that with us. If you, if you watch the through. Let's get to the next chapter. Chapter 41 now we've set, the, we're going to move now, you tend when you read the Bible to some 41 follows chapter 40, of course. Yes, but there's an interval in here that you may be oblivious to of more than 10 years, probably about 12 or 13. Came to pass at the end of two full years, the Pharaoh dreamed. Now that's two full years since the Baker thing, but not two in other words, we know from what later on when we look back that Joseph was, was in there for quite a while. It was a total, of, a total of 13 years from the time he sold until the time he gets reinstated. That's what I really should say. It doesn't say he's in jail all that time because we don't know how long he was serving, but that's anyway. It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. This is the first of two dreams. It's going to give Pharaoh a great deal of distress, especially since the wise men of Egypt could not unravel this, could not explain them. We'll discover when we get down to verse 8. The wise men couldn't unravel this. God used an Israelite slave to confound the wisdom of Egypt. And uh, it'll be later that another Moses, that Pharaoh will be at the mercy of this God. But let's move on. The ill-favored kine and the lean flesh kine did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kine, and so Pharaoh woke up. It so disturbed me, he actually woke up out of his sleep. Have you ever had dreams like that? That are so whatever uh, that you actually wake up from them? Well, and he slept and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. It was a dream. And... Uh, And the word rank there, by the way, really means, uh, uh, you know, fat, uh, rich. But anyway, okay, it's not what you may think. In uh, verse 8, it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. That verse kind of puzzles me because I've never seen a wise man or a magician that couldn't dream up some kind of explanation. But in any case, they obviously didn't cut it. Then spake the chief butler and the pharaoh. See, this this triggers a memory here. I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream one night, I and he, and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of the dream. And uh, there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him. And he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream he did interpret. It came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. The Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. That was the custom, by the way. We know from other records that part of the Egyptian thing was to be totally shaven and cleaned up and, of course, changing the raiment and so forth. He came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know, that's a neat line. That's exactly what Daniel did. To his supervisor in Babylon. There's a real parallel between this narrative and Daniel chapter 2, when this young teenager who has been a hostage, in effect, for Nebuchadnezzar um, uh, tells his boss, The herb ward's gone out to kill all the guys in his job description. Say, Wait, wait, wait. You know, I can't do it either, but our, our God can, and so forth. And that's exactly the way he grandstands it to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. I can't do this, God did, but here's the answer. So Anyway, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. Now, by the way, in this case, there's a difference because Pharaoh tells him what the dream was. Daniel didn't have that advantage. God told him what the dream was. That's what so impressed Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was doing this to find out if his advisors really had any uh, real capability here. And, of course, Daniel upstages that. Getting back here. Uh, And behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored, and lean flesh, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind. And when they'd eaten them up, it could not be known that they had eaten them. But they were still ill-favored, as, it, uh, as at the beginning. So I awoke. And uh, this is very, it's too bad I didn't get some snapshots of Egypt, because in the shallow rivers, that's often where you see the, the cattle or the, you know, coming out of the you know, waist deep water or whatever. Anyway, I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stalk, full and good, And behold, seven ears withered thin and blasted with the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears, and I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. And... uh, it's interesting how Joseph continually underscores, puts up front, that this is God's show, not his. That tells you a lot about Joseph. Even though he has been abused, he obviously, as he's had, he's had many, many hours to ponder why am I here? My, sons have, my, my, uh, my father's sons have, have uh, sold me into slavery. I find myself in this strange land as a slave. And there, through no fault of my own, by being trying to be faithful, I, I'm in prison. You, know, you can imagine this kid is probably having a tough time uh, keeping things in perspective. And yet he does. There's never any evidence that he has any impatience. He just trusts God that somehow this is all in God's... He, he figures he's in God's hands. It's God's problem. Boy, if we could have that same attitude. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. He says, verse 25, The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. In my English, I think I say the dreams, plural, are one. But all right. Anyway. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh... What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. By the way, the Hebrew actually says heavy. (laughs) And so what are young people, I say? This is a heavy... Heavy dude, it's a heavy deal. And for the dream, uh, and for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. You know, I think that's interesting because there's these two versions here. It seemed uh, in in uh, in Joseph's mind that underscored its authenticity, having come from God, and that it would be carried out soon. And uh, there must have been several things on Joseph's mind. There were two dreams when he was a kid. There's been two imprisonments. He was in the cistern and now here. And uh, there's been two dreamers in prison. The each had a dream. And now Pharaoh has two dreams. The, the, du- the duplex pattern all the way through, I, I'm sure, uh, must have been uh, 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 something that uh, Joseph was conscious of. And uh, for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. And now, therefore... Get, get this! Get this! Kid, he's telling the ruler of the world what to do. I love this, you know. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven good years, plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food. Excuse me, keep food in the cities. So. Uh, one of the lessons here, though, that Joseph is espousing is that wise planning ahead is a basic principle of practical living. For Egypt, of course, it's obvious there. It's also obvious, maybe less well attended to in our own lives. And Joseph continues, And that food shall be for, a, be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as as this is? A man in whom the Spirit of God is? (laughs) Well, obviously you see what's coming. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Forasmuch as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house. And according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Wow. This is where, again, there's a parallel between him and Daniel. Daniel was pretty much in the same boat twice the Babylonian Empire and equivalent to that also in the, in the uh, uh, Persian Empire for much the same reason. Joseph had been faithful in the little things, so God is now giving him an opportunity to become ruler of over all the land of Egypt, which it was the dominant empire on the planet Earth at that time. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, "See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt." And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and put it upon Joseph's hand his signet. And he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and he put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride, uh, and he made him ride to, he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Bow the knee is the way the King James translators translated it. It's abrecht, which is an Egyptian term. It doesn't really refer to prostration. Uh, According to some authors, it really meant father, and, uh, and to others, native prince. And what they believe it really was intended to convey it is naturalizing him as a Hebrew among the Egyptians. In other words, it, by, by the, the intent of that salute, that that, that announcement was that the Egyptians are put on notice to regard him as a like a son of Pharaoh. Uh, that that he's not he's not a slave. He's not a Hebrew. He's an Egyptian, so to speak. And uh, the. Uh, uh, it, uh, p- what popped in my mind? I remember when John F. Kennedy was in Bre- in, in in Germany when it was a divided Germany. Ich, ich bin ein Berliner. Remember he said that he he that was his way of identifying with the German people. Same kind of thing. And uh, what's interesting about this here is Joseph, from a slave in a dungeon to the number two ruler of the known their their, their world in a day. Boy, <laughs> what difference a day makes. You can't help but remember also what Mordecai said to Esther when he was trying to point out her potential leverage for the nation Israel. He says, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? God was not doing this just as a great big favor for Joseph. He's doing this because the destiny of his people was being planned for. And not just for food but to bring them together in a context where they could be taken care of, separated and they went in as a family they went into Egypt as a family and they will come out as a nation and that's really what's forming, in fact the the nation Israel was born as a nation in, in the first two chapters of Exodus Pharaoh continues, Pharaoh said unto Joseph I am Pharaoh and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnathpaniah. And Joseph said, Thanks a lot, fella. No. They're not sure what the word means. According to some Coptic scholars, um, it signifies a revealer of secrets. And another version of it, same kind of thing, says it's a man to whom secrets are revealed. Those are conjectures by people who have uh, familiarity with the linguistic background. But again, they're just conjectures. There's not agreement on this. But also as a token of his new status, it says that he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So the uh, priestly family was in a place called On, and a city which was the center of the, the sun worship in uh, about seven miles north of Cairo, and uh, also known as Heliopolis, by the way. Um, and they will, the, the, the Israelites will, will uh, um, domicile in a land called Goshen, which is the eastern part of the Nile Delta. It's the choicest piece of ground in Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh the king of Egypt. I remember, he was 17 when they sold him into slavery. That's where I got the 13. I didn't mean to imply that it was all in prison, but the point is that's a long time to be, you know, in the penalty box of what, whatever kind. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt, and that was substantial. And uh, in the seven plenteous years, The earth brought forth by the handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. This allusion is also in the Psalms, Psalm 105. In Psalm 105, starting about verse 16 through about verse 22, it reads as follows. In the Psalm, Moreover, he speaking of God, he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. See, that's a detail that's not in Genesis, but you do pick it up in the Psalms. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. and The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler over all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. <laughs> so this Hebrew slave is even teaching the learned of Egypt. So this kid has done well. So let's pick him up again in chapter 41, at verse 50. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And uh, the uh, Manasseh implies forgetfulness, if you will. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And Ephraim implies fruitfulness. And uh, so these are the two sons. Now they're going to be very, very important for a very surprising reason. When Jacob ultimately sees them, meets with them, Jacob will adopt them as his own. That's why you have tribes called Manasseh and Ephraim. They're both together. They can be called the tribe of Joseph. And the only place I can think of offhand where that is done is the book of Revelation. It, it deals with a pair as to you know. In fact, there it even deals with them together. It mentions. Uh, Manasseh, and then the tribe of Joseph. In other words, what's left, which would be Ephraim. So there's some reasons it does it that way. But anyway, the net of it is is that these two sons then, be, because Joseph will accede to the role of the firstborn in a sense, because Reuben blew it by that concubine business. We'll go through all this when the time comes. But uh, uh, so the firstborn gets a double portion. So the way Joseph gets the benefit as if he was the firstborn. And he was the firstborn of Rachel in that sense, right? But he gets, uh, he gets a double portion for his two sons, in effect. Are we together? Okay. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. The seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. This famine was very widespread. That was part of its role because we're going to discover the people back and Hebron are starving. And that's what's going to drive the brothers. But God had some things to do with those brothers before they were ready for what was coming. They had to be tested. They had to be tried in some very interesting ways. And we'll see how Joseph does this. When all the land of Egypt was famished, and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, and what he saith to you, do. See, Joseph had stockpiled all this stuff, He didn't give it out. He sold it to them to Pharaoh's account. And that's the way Pharaoh ends up owning Egypt. Okay, that's another side light to this whole thing that doesn't come up quite so clearly. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph, for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all lands. So this really makes, makes it for Egypt, of course. And that ends that chapter. Chapter 42. This is the We're now going to see the brothers' first visit in a general category called the move to Egypt. Chapter 42. Now when Jacob, we're back in Havron now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? He said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither, and buy from us from thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Boy, you can just see this coming, can't you? This is this is one of the most interesting dramas you can construct here. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, understand these, they're all brothers, but the others are half-brothers. Benjamin is his full brother. All the rest of these guys are, 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 are obviously the ones that sold him into slavery in the first place. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. You know, this interests interesting. The fact that Jacob refuses to let the young one go gives you the clue that he probably had his sons figured out. He knew these guys were rascals. He couldn't prove it, but he didn't trust them. He didn't trust them. And uh, so... Joseph's fate had not come to light yet, of course, but uh, the brothers' characteristics were certainly known to their father. And uh, they, he, was, he was afraid that they might, harm might fall upon Benjamin too. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Oh, love this. That reminds you of a dream he had when he was a kid? See, it's, it's all becoming fulfilled. Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them. See, he knew them, obviously. But when you put it all together, they had no way of knowing him because, you know, there have been 13 years gone by. Furthermore, he looks different. He's in he's Egyptian, you know, uh, array and so forth. And, uh, uh, and so forth. And furthermore, he made himself strange to them deliberately. He said unto them, Whence come ye? He doesn't say this directly. He does it through an interpreter, of course. He's, he's speaking Egyptian. They're speaking Hebrew. But, Whence come ye? He said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And boy, that sets the stage for some fun here. <laughs> Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. and He said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land. Ye are come. Now, the... Uh, He's accusing him of a spy. Their vulnerable border was that way. And so this was, the, this was a very natural thing for him to be suspicious of. It's not contrived. But he's obviously doing this to, for his own purposes. And, uh, so. and Joseph, you need to realize where Joseph is coming from. He, he understands this is a fulfillment of prophecy. He also understands that the family is destined to come down there under his rulership but he has some things that, uh, that have to be done and he's going to go at it in a very, very interesting way. So he's accusing him of being spies. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's son. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not, meaning one has died. In fact, and uh, later on, Jacob's going to scold him. Why'd you tell me you had a younger brother? He's going to catch it for that. But the uh, the Egyptians have a fear of the what they consider the Asiatic peoples coming from the east, and so they this would be the the these the, the, the they could be there to see out where are the weak defenses and so forth, and uh, so to give information to the would-be invaders and so forth. That's that's the the alert thing behind it, and so Joseph said unto them. That is it that I spake unto you, saying, ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come here. Now why is he saying that? Well, partly to test them, because he's, 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 he's got an errand to do for the Lord here, testing them. But also he'd like to have his true brother down here. See, Send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. So <laughs> he's going to put them all in the belief that they're going to be in prison. I want you to notice how long, how long do you think they'll be in prison? They take a look at this. They he put them all together into a ward three days. See, I think in his own mind, he's doing a parallel. They put him in a cistern for three days. So now he's turned the t- t- tables on them. They're in prison for three days. But then the third day, he changes the, changes the program here. Joseph said unto them on the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. In other words, the idea is, okay, I won't send one. I'll keep one and let all you guys go. That's his change of, that's his form of leniency here. But, uh, uh, they've got a problem, of course. This, they said one to another. Now notice, they're, see, they, they're talking to themselves. They don't realize he can, you know, he can understand them. But They said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore has this distress come upon us. They don't recognize that it's Joseph doing this, but they recognize the parallel. They assume that God is giving them their just due for the way they treated their brother. You follow me? They're analyzing this here. And then Reuben. Now, Reuben's he's the guy that you may, was, was trying to get mercy, remember? Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. See, they assumed he was Egyptian and couldn't understand Hebrew. And uh, so, so he, at this point, Joseph can't handle it either. He turned himself about from them and wept. In other words, turned about, not just t- turned around, he went into a, cha- a separate chamber where he could, you know, be private. Then he returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Now, Simeon was... Required to remain in prison, he was Jacob's second son, and tradition holds that he was the most cruel of all the brothers. That's that's the impression you get from at least the scholars. But anyway, he took Simeon bound before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn, and to re- Now this is what they didn't know, and to restore every man's money into his sack, the money that they purchased all this stuff. But Joseph has their purchase price, the cash, put back in their sacks without their knowledge. And to give them provision for the way, and this he did unto them. So he's, he's, this is called entrapment. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and they laid their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened a sack to give his ass provender, and see, in the inn, they're on their, they're en route now. They're staying overnight someplace. He's going to feed one of his his donkeys, and he said, uh, he espied his money, and behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said to his brother, "My money is restored. Look, it is even in my sack." And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God has done to us? See, this is not a blessing. They realize that they are in trouble. This is, you know, it's, it's sort of like these stories you see where someone, one of these the robbers rob a small bank only to discover it's a mafia drop. You know. Now they're, the feds we can handle, but not those guys, you know, that kind of thing. Well, so they, they realize they are somehow, they don't, they don't understand how it happened, but they recognize they're in big soup. So anyway, they come home, they came to Jacob their father unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell in them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, and we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father, the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food to the famine of your households, and be gone." and bring your youngest brother unto me, then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you, your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. So that's their, you know. And came to pass as they emptied their sacks, and behold, every man's bundle of money was in a sack. And, bo- and when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. This is, a, this is, this is not a blessing, it's a problem for them. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me, have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. Which in two words, Jacob's saying, no way. I've lost Joseph. For all practical purposes, I've lost Simeon, and I'm not going to let you take Benjamin. So Jacob is not going to go along with this thing, which gives them a huge problem, because the food's going to run out, obviously. Reuben spoke unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons if I bring them not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring thee, bring him to thee again. That's his deal. That's Reuben offers a pretty good deal here. And he, he, Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So he's not going he's, he's just not gonna. Um, not going to do it. And uh, so that ends that. That brings us to their second visit. Because obviously the food eventually runs out. We have time for this. Let's go ahead. The famine was sore in the land. It came to pass that when they had eaten up the corn which they had bought out of Egypt, their father said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and Judah spake to saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face except your brother your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face except your brother be with you. And Israel, or Jacob, said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? (laughs) Jacob, or he's scolding them. They hadn't mentioned the younger brother, he wouldn't be in the soup. What he's trying to do is avoid the decision only he can make. The problem is very simple. You've got to decide to let him go or not. But don't blame them, you know, guys. It's it's, it's Jacob's problem. They said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you yet another brother? And we told him, according to the tenor of those words, could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be a surety. This is Judas speaking now. I will be a surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we would have returned the second time. So, in other words, it's it's time to get going here, guys. Judas Judas is laying it on it. And uh, it's kind of interesting. He's trying to break the deadlock of this family tension. He, uh, He was Jacob's fourth son, you may recall. And um, and he apparently will succeed where Je- Reuben has failed, um, and, and Benjamin will of course go down with the brothers. It's interesting. Judah was the one that came up with the plan to sell Joseph in the first place back there in chapter 37. Now he is the one that has to negotiate with the father to get Benjamin to go. So, he, he their father Israel said to them, "If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land of your vessels and carry down the man a present." a little balm, a little honey, spices, and myrrh, and nuts, and almonds, and take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks carried again in your hand Per adventure, it was an oversight. So they're going to try to take the choicest fruits and the rarest nuts as a gift and so forth, and I assume that these things were probably not that readily available in Egypt. It puzzles me a little bit because they're in a famine, and yet they do have some of these these uh, nice things there, but again, they're not substantive in terms of, of, of their livelihood. And so, uh, um, take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. And God Almighty, El Shaddai, if you will, give you mercy before uh, the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. You can almost hear the Jewish shrug there, can't you, And the men took that present, and they took the double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and he rose up, went down to Egypt, and stood before Joseph. It's interesting that uh, Jacob prays to God Almighty, El Shaddai. That's the God that will provide all our needs. That's really what that word emphasizes, that particular label. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of of his house, Bring these men home and slay. And make ready, meaning, you know, prepare a roast and so on. And make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. That's got to make them uncomfortable. They wonder what's going on here. Yeah, and the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. They said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time when we were brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. So they're frightened. They think they're going to be captured. Now they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house, and said, Oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food, and it came to pass when we came to the inn that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand. He's trying to lay this right out front, see? The other money we have brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. Now notice what the steward tells them. And he said, Peace be unto you, and fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. That's kind of interesting because the steward is talking to them about their God. That tells you that Joseph obviously had tutored his own steward about the living God. You miss that unless you stop and think about it. The, the, the steward is resp- putting these guys at ease, but he's doing so in terms that implies he has understanding who the God of, uh, uh, God of Jacob is. The man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet and gave their asses provender. And they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, They brought him the present that was in their hand unto the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. There again, we have the fulfillment of Joseph's dream. Okay, second time. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom he spake, is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant of our father is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And uh, he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Bear in mind, see, he's the full brother of, of Joseph. Of whom he, spake, uh, he says, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn for his brother. No, he just, he's, his guts are churning on this one. Um, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. Joseph couldn't handle it. He had to slip away to handle this. His, his, the emotions are running high here. They're just beginning. He washed his face, went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. Now notice what he has arranged here. They set on on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians which did eat with them by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him. Now get this. They're seated at this banquet table, their special own table. They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, the men marveled one another. You'd think they would get a clue here how on earth would this stranger know them well enough to put them in the proper family order? You know, I don't know if they had place cards how they were, but anyway. And furthermore, it gets even worse. Next verse. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank, and they were merry with him. And the, the word merry means drank largely. But in any case, so they're. they're um, uh, this is, this is, you'd, think, you'd think they'd get a clue, but they haven't got a clue. It's going to be fun. Chapter 44. Joseph's got to do some testing. These were the guys that sold him to slavery. He's got to find out where they're really at. He commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in the sack's mouth. You're going to do the same stunt again, see? And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money, and did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. So, again, he has you know uh, set this up, but he's added this cup thing in Benjamin's sack. See, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say to them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth, ye have done evil in so doing. See, we got Joseph's private cup here, which he not only drinks from, but he's creating the impression. I don't think he really did, but he creates the impression that he uses it for divining, see. There was a form called uh, 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 hydromancy where you put in a cup uh, some silver flakes or gold flakes or some precious stones, and you shake it, and then you, by interpreting the, like tea leaves, you interpret it, you would, foretell the future. That was a form of divination. So cups were, were used for that in some cultures. So he's trying to give them the impression that this is very, this is a very special cup that they've gone off with. See? So anyway, they, so he overtook them and uh, he spake unto them these same words. And they said to him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of my Lord's house uh, silver or gold? In other words, he's speaking of earlier trip. Notice what he said. Whomsoever of thy servants it be found, let him die, and we also will be thy Lord's bondmen. See, they're bluffing this through because they know they haven't stolen anything. Right? Wrong. <laughs> and he said, Now let now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Okay? Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched. Now get, notice what the steward has been well briefed. He starts with the oldest, works his way down to the youngest. He's building tension. He began the eldest, left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's. Can you just see that? You want to write the screenplay for this, don't you? This is right. And uh, now, can you imagine their shock when they find the Pharaoh's own cup in their youngest sack? You know, they can they can hear they can already hear in their ears Jacob's screaming at them. Then they rent their clothes and he laid every man his ass, and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that ye have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? (laughs) He's really really putting it on. Judah said, and this is, uh, anyway, Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and also he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Then Judah came near unto him. See, uh, 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 Joseph is playing this out, but Judah is trying to deal with it. Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a a brother? And uh, I should mention, this is going to be one of the most eloquent um, passages in, in literature. Sir Walter Scott said of this, what we're going to read here, It's the most complete pattern of genuine, natural eloquence extant in any language. That was Sir Walter Scott's assessment of this. And uh, it's a remarkable intercession that Judah is going to put forth here. And as he pled with this Egyptian official for the life and freedom of Benjamin. And uh, this spirit of self-sacrifice you're hearing out of Judah is a long way from the Judah of thirteen years ago and that's what Joseph is trying to he's putting them to the test. This whole charade is very colorful tremendous drama but it has a very critical purpose from God's point of view. Either they are the brothers that God is going to build a nation out of or he'll start a fresh one under Joseph. That's sort of the the tone of this whole situation and uh, because so uh, Ju- uh, Judah continues, My Lord, ask your servants, have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou didst say unto us, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And uh, we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst to thy servants, Except thou youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us. Uh, 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 if our youngest brother be with us, then we shall go down. But we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare two sons. The one went from me, and I said, Surely he is torn into pieces, for I saw him not since. And if he take also this also from me, and mischief befall him, Ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, with my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, he will die. And my servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever." Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Quite a speech. Uh, no protestation of innocence, no, no, no excuses, just a plain, unabashed uh, thing. So, Now, Jacob and Joseph, can you, it's interesting to contrast Jacob and Joseph, just to give you a little summary here. Both narratives begin with the father being deceived and the brothers being treacherous. Both Jacob and Joseph, okay? Both include a 20-year period of separation. The younger brother in a foreign land. Jacob, chapter 31. Joseph, of course, here. 13 years in Potiphar's house, in prison from the age 17 to 30, in effect. And um, the contrast, chapter 37 and 41, is pretty obvious. And then the seven years of abundance, the brothers came to Egypt and so forth. So, It's interesting to see the parallel. Both of these uh, concluded with a reunion and reconciliation of the brothers. (laughs) Chapter 45, I'll call it Joseph Revealed. So there's the scene. You got the scene. Judas made this fabulous, fabulous plea. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said unto his brethren, Can you, can you, can you picture this? Hey guys, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? His brethren could not answer him. For they were troubled at his presence. Boy, I can imagine can you imagine? Joseph said to his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, this has got to be hard to absorb. You know, they, they're guilty of virtually killing him. And now they find he's the ruler of the world. I mean, you know, this is, it doesn't get any better than this. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither for God did send me before you to preserve life. Notice Joseph's mentality. He bears them no ill will. He is totally uh, convinced this is God's plan. Boy, what a perspective. For these two years hath the famine been in the land and yet there and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing or harvest. There's five more years coming, guys. And... Uh, See, Joseph's point is the providential act of God is far more important than any minor act of mortal man. What you guys did is is not an issue. And God sent me before you to preserve you, a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, And Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, and tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. Thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty." Now here's a map of Egypt to give you a rough feeling of it. I've put Cairo on the map just for a frame of reference. Um, obviously the capital of Lower Egypt is Memphis, which is roughly just a little south of Cairo, where Cairo is today. The northern uh, Upper Egypt is Thebes. The, the Upper Lower Egypt divide roughly where Memphis is. The Lower Egypt was the Nile Valley, very fertile, and the rest of it was up, the, up to the first cataracts of the Nile. And uh, to give you another, the land, if you look at the the Nile Delta, the northern part up there, is the most fertile uh, region you can imagine. The best part of it is the eastern part of that, and that's Goshen, and that's where they stand. It was called, you know, the district of Ramesses by the time you get to Exodus 1, but in any case, that's where it is, the land of Goshen. And just to give you some other references here, uh, if you visit Egypt, uh, the fabled temples of Karnak and Luxor, they're roughly uh, right across the river, right across the Nile from Thebes, in effect. And uh, there's also, down at the bottom, there. there's Elephantine Island, which is an island in the Nile that was the fortified capital, and it was in the 6th century B.C. That's probably where the ark was taken to get it away out of, out of the heads of Manasseh, if you read in Second Chronicles 35. Um, and then, just to give you another frame of reference, up very north, above Goshen, right where the, 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 it, uh, up from this uh, uh, against the ocean, is a place called Tanis. This is just a couple of cities you hear about. That's... Uh, that is famous for a lot of reasons, but one of, it was the place, there's a legend that the Ark was hidden, Tanis, that was that one of six different legends, but that was the one they used for the movie Indiana Jones thing, the Tanis and so forth. Just not a big thing and, and so forth, but for what it's worth. Let's finish it up. And behold, your eyes shall see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin that it is my mouth that speaketh any of you. See, speaking to him in Hebrew, first of all, that's got to rattle them, see? And ye shall tell my father all my glory in Egypt and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this scene? Moreover, he kissed all his brethren, and he wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. The fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, Laid your beasts and go and get you into the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. And also regard not your stuff for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. The children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. (laughs) <laughs> and his father, he sent after this manner ten asses laden with good things of Egypt, and ten she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away that they departed. And he said to them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came unto the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And the father said, yeah, tell me another one. No. he said. Uh, and Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Do you blame him? Can you even absorb them? I mean, you can't, can't imagine this. They told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And he said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Well, I got some shots here. I, I, uh, when we were in Egypt, I, I, had to, I had to show you one thing. There is a uh, stela. You won't find this in many of the guidebooks, but you will find it in uh, If you get a copy of the official catalog of the Cairo Museum, you'll discover that there is a thing in the uh, 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 exhibit, t- 212 on the ground floor in room 13, called the Victory Stela. It includes 28 lines of metered poetical hymn celebrating victories over a Libyan coalition. But what makes this so interesting is that it includes reference to Israel as a tribe, not Israel as a nation distant as a tribe among them. It's the only, you know, they went through and tried to obliterate everything after the of, you know, so, But here's one they missed. Because, and if you look at this, there is a place on the stela where it speaks of Israel as a tribe. And what's particularly interesting about this—it's the stele of Merenptah, who is uh, uh, mummified there—and he's a very interesting guy because, if nothing else, they can tell from his lungs that he died with, from drowning in salt water. So that's kind of fun. That doesn't necessarily mean that—they're not sure. They're not saying it's the Pharaoh of the Exodus, but at least there's a—it's provocative. Uh, the the uh, contained salts indicating possible death by drowning in salt water. So. When you get into Egyptology, you discover there's a lot of, the scholarship there is not as tight as you would imagine it to be. There's still a lot of mysteries that lie behind all of this. But next time, we will continue the final chapter of Joseph and, uh, uh, and uh, the migration and some exciting stuff. So let's, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Man, what a scene. Father, we just thank you that we, too, have an advocate that's the ruler of not just the world, but the universe. We thank you, Father, that we, too, are in a very real sense, uh, in a position to be joint heirs with them. We thank you, Father, that you've gone to such extremes, and that Jesus suffered so much on our behalf. We do pray, Father, you'd reignite in each of us a new hunger, a passion for your word, and open that word to our lives that we might become better stewards of the opportunities you place before us, that we too, like Joseph, might just trust you that we are indeed in your hands and will have need for nothing as we commit ourselves afresh without any reservation into your hands. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.